Welcome to the Life in Moderation podcast. I'm your host, Alex Adele King, certified nutritionist and holistic women's health expert. Here, we'll cover all topics related to nutrition, women's health, hormones, self-development, and personal growth. I'm here to guide you on your journey to balancing your hormones, loving your menstruation, cycle syncing, and living your best life. Now let's get into it. Hey guys, on today's episode of the podcast, I have the lovely Renee Hache. Renee is the founder of Salt and Spoon Wellness. She is a restriction-free nutritionist and intuitive eating coach. She's worked with countless clients, empowering them to make healthy choices while they gently let go of food rules. Her goal is to help guide you through the world of wellness with a very different process, one where you don't have to restrict food, follow crash diets, or obsess over food. With the health at every size approach, she is here to show you that you can love the body you're in right now, no matter what your health goals. So welcome to the podcast, Renee. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really pumped to be here. I'm so excited you're here. I have so many questions for you just to dive in about everything intuitive eating and health at every size, restriction free. So Mm -hmm. for the people who don't really know you and want to get to know you and what you're all about, um, I would say let's start off by sharing your personal health story and what led you to where you are now. Yeah. um, You know, I, we were actually just talking about this beforehand, but I have sort of a wraparound journey to how I got here. Um, I started you know, way back in another life as um, an actor. And I went to school for that. And then I worked in the industry for about three years. And at the time, I was really struggling with the lifestyle and sort of being a creative in the, the business of acting. And it honestly burnt me out. Like I the I was just struggling so much with my health overall with my sleep and and eventually you know that moved into hormonal imbalance and I struggled with severe acne and it just all accumulated over time and I got to this point where I sort of hit a health rock bottom and I realized that I just couldn't keep doing this anymore I couldn't keep doing it to myself and it took a while to get there <laughs> but um you know after that I asked myself what I was passionate about and what I was interested in, which led me to health and wellness and specifically nutrition. So I decided to go back to school for that. And after a couple years of training and education, I went into business for myself. I opened and launched Salt and Spoon Wellness, which is my my you know health and wellness business baby. But essentially, I work one on one with primarily women and um, specialize in female health and originally started out with uh, hormone specialization and found that through the work I was doing with my clients, a lot of what was coming up was how how their, you know, fear around food and you know, going on diets and protocols that were full of restrictions and rules was really inhibiting their ability to live a fully healthy and well-rounded wellness lifestyle. And so, you know, as I worked with them and as I sort of developed my process, I realized that that was 
kind of what I had been doing all along. And so I took a deep dive into intuitive eating and food freedom. And that brings me to where we are today. Mm, That's so great. Just Mm. everything you went through, who you helped. I'm curious, just out of like, for my own curiosity, where does the name Salt and Spoon come from? How did you come up with that for your business? Oh, yeah. Um, Well, I am from the East Coast originally. I grew up just outside of Halifax, and it's always been really where my heart is and my home. And so um, the salt is sort of like a little tribute to the salt air, the salt water. Um, and the spoon is of course bringing in the nutrition and cooking and, and my love of food. So that's, and you know, the wellness aspect is sort of looking at that whole picture, uh, of well-being outside of just your food choices or, you know, your life's, your movement lifestyle. Oh, I really love that. That's so nice. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't get that question often. So I kind of love explaining it because it really does. It has like a little a little special background story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I saw that name on Instagram because I think it was something else before. I might be wrong. But then it when was. I thought, okay, because I was like salt and spoon. I always wondered and I was just kind of like, yeah, like spoon, like food nutrition. And I just I wasn't entirely sure. So I was just curious. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of wraparound journeys, it's been, <laughs> I'm not one to stick to something when I don't, when I'm ready for a transformation. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not afraid of change, which is welcoming. I know when I was studying actually to become a dietitian, we talked a lot about categorizing foods as like good foods and bad foods. And so how do you feel? How do you approach that when your client is like, I can't eat Oreos because it's categorized as like a quote unquote bad food. So how do you teach your clients to either avoid the guilt if they are craving something kind of like Oreos and Mm -hmm. yeah, categorizing the foods as kind of that good and bad? Yeah. When you start approaching wellness from an intuitive eating, body respect and food freedom framework, it is a wonderfully rewarding, uh, but often very scary deep dive into the thoughts and conditioning that you have around food. So with like, we are technically conditioned to assign morality around our food, right? We love structure and we we think that we love and need rules. And the messaging that we've been getting from, you know, diet culture, and we can talk about what that is if if that's important, but um, the messaging that we've been getting from media and from experts in the wellness field and nutrition will often assign a category, like you said, to food. You know, an Oreo is a great example because often we think of that food as unhealthy, right? And so one of the first things that we need to start to unpack is why we choose to think that and whether or not that serves us in the long term, right? I would argue that if you assign a negative connotation to something like an Oreo, you are possibly going to encounter it often in your life and you may even enjoy Oreos or whatever, you know, insert your favorite quote unquote junk food uh, there, right? Um, But you're often going to encounter it and you're often going to want to enjoy it and probably I would put some good money on may end up indulging in that food from time to time. And so if you are 
if you are stuck in this narrative that that food is unhealthy for you and that it's bad for you, often that translates into your feelings about yourself and thinking you're a bad person for engaging with that food to begin with. And then beyond that, it really, you know, impacts your ability to navigate those foods without feeling out of control around them. And so when we can like remove that narrative and that morality and those negative connotations around food and make all of our foods neutral decisions, then you can start to make empowered choices about what you want to eat for very different and specific reasons, which will start to address your well-being and your relationship with food and create a much more positive experience in general. Does that make sense? Yeah, I I actually really like that because I never thought about when you label a food as bad, that it kind of makes yourself think, oh, maybe I'm a bad person because I'm eating these bad foods when that's not the case at all. And that's really not how we should be thinking about it. Yeah. And I think, I think it's like, you can see it sometimes in your reactions to Instagram influencers, especially if you follow, you know, a lot of health accounts or wellness accounts that are sort of showing you what they eat. Right. And if you are sitting at home and, you know, you're, grandmother has just made you a beautiful homemade cake. If you have that narrative running through your head, you're not able to fully enjoy that and experience an aspect of life that enhances your quality of living, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're constantly stressed and worried about indulging in that food itself. Yeah, exactly. That's, I mean, that's also why I named my business Nutrition Moderation, because I feel like there's such a thing as soul food and kind of feeding your soul. And yeah, so maybe your grandma made you this cake that reminds you of your childhood and it just brings you the best memories. And why would you want to feel guilty for indulging in that piece of cake when it is really like feeding and nourishing your soul? And I feel like stress also plays a big piece in that as well, because if you're stressed out about eating that piece of cake then you're putting yourself in fight or flight rather than rest and digest. And then it's just a whole other big issue as well. Exactly. And there's so much that we can unpack in terms of the research that's coming out about ingesting unhealthy foods and how that relates to our health markers and risk for chronic illness versus our relationship with food and how that impacts those sort of bottom lines. And we're starting to discover that it is more about our ability to, you know, our mental well-being around our eating habits and, you know, external um, challenges like weight stigma, et cetera, and judgments from others that may be impacting our overall health markers more than we think, right? And so if you can take sort of that framework and openly choose or attempt to choose it often takes you know quite quite a bit of deep thought work and unpacking but attempt to choose to have every food be neutral then you can really start to change that relationship with food which will impact have a cascade effect and impact most of your markers for well-being right mm-hmm. yeah i really hope that we're moving kind of in that direction where we can have a little bit more studies on relationship with food and and all the whole aspect of mental well-being around food as well. That would mm-hmm. be- yeah, and 
And like, not to say that, you know, if you ate Oreos for the rest of your life and only Oreos, you'd be healthy. Like, I'm sure probably not, right? But I think that the the idea behind intuitive eating is that once you're able to disassociate from all of that external conditioning and rules, your body will inherently crave what it needs for fuel, nourishment, and survival, right? And so you, I promise you, everyone thinks that you will eat cookies for the rest of your life. You won't, but you may crave the occasional Oreo from time to time, and that's perfectly okay. And when you can get yourself to that place, everything changes. Because mm-hmm. I swear, sometimes when I bring up intuitive eating with my clients, they're like, well, I crave pizza. Like I could eat pizza, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Are you telling me to eat that for the rest of my life? Just pizza all day, every day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very common fear. And everyone sort of loves to think, it's, a, it's a, actually a really big misconception about intuitive eating and the food freedom approach that you can just eat, you're allowed to eat just whatever you want, whenever you want, in any amount, for no matter how long. And that's a piece of the puzzle that we work through because, you know, these rules and restrictions that we create actually impact your um, brain's response to food. And so you develop this sort of um, bin, I call it like a binge restrict cycle where, you know, you decide that Oreos are bad and they're your kryptonite food and you can't have them anymore. And so you take them all out of the house and you never buy them at the grocery store and you tell yourself you can't, you can't have Oreos because you're trying to be healthy. The more that you do that and with the more foods, the more you put these foods on a pedestal, right? And the more you create this, you know, sort of fervor around this food. And eventually, if you've been um, a chronic dieter, either for wellness or weight loss, eventually these foods become all-consuming, right? They become everything that you think about. They become the thing that you walk past and, and, and put blinders on at the grocery store. And eventually, most people don't have the willpower to sustain avoiding them forever. So they give in. And that often leads to feeling out of control around that food, possibly and potentially overeating, overindulging, and binging on that food because we've we've basically created the condition in our brain that we're in a famine state. It may be specific to one certain food, but our, our biology doesn't really understand that, right? And so we create this syndrome where this Oreo becomes this forbidden fruit, right? And essentially... I don't I would argue that no one in the world has enough willpower to avoid the Oreo forever. So it's about like it's about giving yourself permission to eat that Oreo and then technically unconditional permission to eat that Oreo. And then once you do that, allow yourself to eat it, hopefully with supervision because a lot of this stuff can be, you know, big topics and sometimes scary, and you may very well eat a bag of Oreos every day for a week. But I promise you, eventually your body will say, thanks, that's enough. I've had enough Oreos. I know that they're there whenever I want them. I can choose to have them whenever. And I don't need to put them on this pedestal and make them something that is, you know, any more special than a salad, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Yeah, I liked everything you said about that binge restricting cycle and how your brain thinks that you're going into the famine state. And it's so true. Some people, once you 
say, like put those very restricting rules and saying, you can't eat this food anymore, then sometimes that's all they think about. That's all they dream about. And then they're like, I need this food. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it's not helpful for anyone when you start to restrict and put labels on foods like that, for sure. Yeah. And it's, it's a very common um, feeling and process. Like no one is alone in that experience because it's the way we've been conditioned again and taught to think about these so-called quote unquote junk foods, right? Mm -hmm. Every food essentially is just a series of, you know, chemical combinations that make something up with a different nutrient profile. We have just decided that certain foods are more nutritious than others. And so we've taken that to an extreme where we are under the assumption that only those healthful foods should ever enter our body for any reason, right? And that's where we get all of this guilt, shame, restrictions, and then putting these foods on pedestals and then indulging in them and feeling completely guilty after the fact, right? Mm-hmm. And so for some people who still have that 70s mentality of dieting and shakes and doing a lot of hit exercises, can you explain a little bit more about what intuitive eating is and um, if there's a difference between intuitive eating, mindful eating, restriction free, or is it kind of all under the same umbrella and what your definition is and what your process is with food freedom? Mm, okay. Um... So I see technically intuitive eating is a series of principles and a method for healing your relationship with food developed by two prominent members and experts in the field. So they came out with um, the intuitive eating book, which is an essentially step-by-step way to navigate deconditioning from diet culture tuning into your internal body cues and, you know, creating a lifestyle around that with healthy behaviors. So that's like the intuitive eating umbrella. I would specifically refer to intuitive eating as tuning in, right? Once you're able to, you know, sort of quiet the noise and decondition from all of those external rules and restrictions, then you're able to turn inward and to notice what your body might be craving or what it's asking for or you know genuinely what you are looking to accomplish from an internal perspective and so that to me is intuitive eating in terms of restriction free i think that that approach is completely applicable within the principles because you are essentially giving up any type of rule or restriction around food so that's my overall approach within my own work with clients is I, you know, I will never give, and and there's nothing wrong with that, but I will never give personally with the specific type of people I work with who struggle with their relationship with food. I'll never say, you know, oh, let's, you can't eat dairy or gluten, et cetera, right? Unless there's a specific, um, you know, pathology or physical reason why they couldn't tolerate it first, for example. Um, And then in terms of, what was the last part? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in terms of your process of um, your specific method of food freedom. Right, right, right. Okay. So food freedom for me is all of those principles wrapped up into one, right? It's creating a relationship with food where you're able to let go of the rules, restrictions, obsession, and feeling out of control 
And then it's about learning how to tune in to respect your own body's internal cues and needs so that you can nourish and fuel yourself while at the same time feeling free to enjoy and indulge and seek out a a quality of life that you may not have been able to experience before. So that's my general approach. And that's sort of an overall look at how I work with clients one-on-one. I basically walk them through that process, or at the very least, if we're working on specific health goals, I instill those principles within all of the framework that we are navigating and working through. Mm-hmm. I really like your approach. I find I think it's very unique and at the same time encompasses kind of everything very wholeheartedly and kind of very well roundabout. Thank so, you. Yeah, I really like everything you're saying and everything you're doing in terms of intuitive eating and food freedom. And so with that, who would be ideal for your for your specific method and program and who is this whole lifestyle or intuitive eating not for? Mm, okay. This is a very good question. Um, I, I guess I can speak to, to start, I can speak to my own personal relationship with food because that's really where a lot of this came from. And it took me a long time to realize that the choices I was making we're coming from a place of restriction and fear and not true empowerment. You know, I had tons of nutritional knowledge, but I was I was using that knowledge against myself, if you know what I mean. Like you can you can, you know, find out all of the problematic ingredients that are in every food out there, but if that fear becomes all-encompassing and your list of quote-unquote foods you can't eat, gets longer and longer to the point where you are really operating under a very limited scope of um of 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 diet and and food choices that's where personally I sort of had a wake up call where I was like okay all of this stuff that I'm doing in the pursuit of wellness and the pursuit of health overall actually is just making me feel less well you know, my mental health was really struggling. I was, I finally woke up to the idea that I was struggling with um, disordered eating, especially in terms of this sort of pursuit of perfect, of perfect eating, right? And clean eating, quote unquote. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, if you are able to navigate that narrative in a healthy way, when it becomes a part, what feels like a full-time job or a part-time job, and you are constantly worrying about ingredients and what's going into your body, if you're canceling plans with people because you're worried about the food that might be served or lack thereof, if you know you are obsessing over, you know, different diets, wellness or not, different protocols that you're going to, you know attempt in an effort to heal your chronic chronic issues like there's nothing wrong with that but when it becomes net negative that's when i'd say you might want to start to consider a different approach and that is a part of of the type of people that i work with and that was my own personal experience and then beyond that you know i've i've spoken quite a bit now at this point and and talked to many people who are struggling with 
the I would say sort of the the other end of the scale where they feel completely out of control around food. They're the types of people that are afraid to have, you know, chips or cake in the house because they they'll just eat it all in one sitting. They struggle with overeating, with binge eating, with emotional eating, um, and they're really struggling to to allow themselves food without completely going off the deep end, essentially. So that's sort of the two camps that I find most people are in, or or seemingly who I've seemed to attract into my work. And I would say that if if that is you, there is there's a better way to approach working through that than another crash diet or another cleanse, right? I think it's more important to address your relationship with food if that is how you're feeling than to tackle the actions or the behaviors at that point. Mm-hmm. Or I'm just curious if you can kind of mix intuitive eating along with some therapeutic diets because you mentioned some people may not do well with dairy, or some people might have to go on a specific diet for other reasons. Is there a place where intuitive eating can fit in, in combination with something like a therapeutic diet? Yeah, I was, that's a really great question because I do get asked that quite a bit as well. There is room for every type of therapeutic diet under the sun. If you have a specific reason as to why, you know, for example, celiac disease is a great example. That that type of person with that chronic illness absolutely definitely needs to avoid gluten, right? The principle of food freedom and the fact that all foods fit can still apply within that framework because the idea is that once you're able to tune in, you will always choose and crave foods that feel good, right? And from from a body respect perspective, we would never want you to quote unquote disrespect your body by making it physically ill and sick. So you can apply the principle no matter what. One thing I would say though is often, um, you know, especially when people start working with me, they have this long list of foods or they're on a specifically therapeutic diet or are attached to the idea of that for reasons that aren't specific to their physiology or their you know biology right and so i have certain clients who have wanted to start like a keto diet for example with the goal of quote unquote being healthier and I mean, keto lovers don't come for me. I'm I am here for it if that's what you want to do. But I would have you ask yourself when you think of yourself or this ideal version of you that is healthier, does the first thing that come to mind when you picture that person is that thinness? Is that being smaller than you are right now? Is that changing the way that you look? Which often for a lot of us reads healthy, right? And so that's sort of the first step in in recognizing whether or not you're choosing a therapeutic diet for for authentic reasons in the pursuit of health or if we're looking at it from this sort of deeply ingrained ingrained diet culture narrative, right? Where we equate 
weight loss with health. Mm-hmm. So there's something I want to unpack there because you brought up keto. Mm. <laughs> um, and then you also brought up disordered eating. So I wanted to talk about disordered eating versus eating disorder. But mm. also um, what fits into that along with keto is um, also orthorexia, if we could touch on that as well, because I know with all the nutrition knowledge out there now, there's so many books and just so many practitioners and health coaches on Instagram talking about either the keto diet and then, you know, another book or a practitioner recommends no lectins and then it's just cut out this, cut out that, cut out this. And no one really talks about adding food back in, but rather all these things to cut out. So what would you suggest for someone who may be struggling with either disordered eating, an eating disorder, or orthorexia? Mm-hmm. There are absolutely pathological eating disorders, right? And those are sort of the things that we typically think of. Anorexia nervosa, bulimia, binge eating disorder. Those are, I would say... If you're if if you feel you fall into one of those categories or you're currently struggling, I would always recommend um, you know additional support, right? Of course, uh, potentially therapy in some sort of way. Those are beyond our general you know issues with food or our relationship with food, right? There is potentially trauma responses there. There is so much um, that lies beneath the surface that I feel you really need a good support team in place if you are looking to address that. That being said, intuitive eating has been proven to be effective in helping to treat eating disorders, right? Then we have this sort of gray area, which is orthorexia nervosa. And for those of uh, you know the listeners who aren't familiar, Orthorexia is a sort of new age, unofficial eating disorder because to my knowledge, it's not actually accepted as one of the, um, you know, categorical eating disorders, but often it is considered a, either a derivative of anorexia nervosa, or we would, we would put it into this category that you mentioned of disordered eating, right? And orthorexia is the, generally the obsession around food is revolved around health and wellness and not necessarily around weight loss. So, you know, I, I can't speak for for the full spectrum of, of mental health when it comes to this, but anorexia nervosa, generally the issue is that um, the it's, it's very disordered and unhealthy attempts to lose weight, where orthorexia is often more about the pursuit of health. So, for example, eating clean. Um, obsessive juice cleansing, or in my case, again, this this list, this growing list of foods that are bad for you, quote unquote, unhealthy, or you know, will basically destroy you and kill you, <laughs> becomes so long that it becomes very difficult for you to live a normal life. And so that is genuinely my personal journey, and um, is still something that I think we can consider worthy of of working through and unpacking because I think that everyone deserves a, a to be free of disordered eating no matter how it, it affects and impacts their life. Um, okay, so that's <laughs> 
that's eating disorders and orthorexia. Then we talked about keto diets, right? What was the question? (laughs) (laughs) It was just about, um, you know, there's like hundreds of diets out there. There's like keto diet, there's, um, you know, like if it fits your macros, there's the low lectins, there's like vegan, vegetarian, pescatarian, there's like everything under the sun. So I was just kind of addressing that, um, how basically intuitive eating fits into someone who's worried about which diet they should be on. And rather than thinking, which diet should I be on? Like, should I go towards keto or should I go towards vegan? Rather than that, why don't we start off with addressing the root cause and addressing intuitive eating first and kind of letting go of some of those diets, um, you know, to a different direction. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This is a very, um, can be a very touchy subject because we all have a certain level of attachment to wellness diets, especially, right? I think most of us at this point in our generation are all on board with the idea that like Atkins isn't all that helpful, but we still haven't necessarily noticed the shift in diet culture messaging and sort of fat phobia, weight stigma narrative, and how it's shifted into the wellness world, right? In my philosophy is, and everyone is welcome to disagree or navigate their own path by all means. My philosophy though is if it's rules and restrictions, it will not cultivate a healthy relationship with food for you. And especially, especially if you are aware enough to understand that you are already struggling with, you know, toxic and disordered eating habits, then I would say personally, you're probably much better off navigating that relationship with food and learning how to tune into your own body cues, which will serve you for a lifetime, as opposed to attempting a even wellness diet that are often just weight loss, like weight loss diets tied up in a pretty bow. Um, then you would be sort of attempting to navigate that path in any, yeah, I'm going to say it because that's, I feel very strongly about that. Right. Um, again, there's a caveat for, for very specific therapeutic diets for chronic illness, but you can still navigate those with an intuitive eating framework. Mm -hmm. With therapeutic diets, there can be a time and a place for sure, Mm -hmm. but, um, we don't see as much of that, I feel, because typically people kind of know if they're diagnosed with something, they have to go on that specific diet. And they've been doing that for quite a long time. What I kind of aim to get away from is kind of that, like in the 70s, where shakes were really popular, the Atkins bars. Um, You know, I remember when I was in high school, and it was like, oh my gosh, yeah, just like looking in a magazine and being like, am I thin enough? Am I pretty enough? You know, and all this stuff kind of that comparison on social media. And, you know, back in my day before social media was a thing, it was kind of like TV and magazines. Mm -hmm. And I remember like going into the grocery store with my mom and seeing all the like the slim fast shakes, premier protein shakes, the instant carnation shakes, and then all these like weight loss bars like Atkins and stuff. And I think what's What's really interesting about sort of where we're currently at is 
those that narrative still exists. It's just that the target has changed, right? The goal now isn't necessarily to be that like waif-like thin aesthetic. Now it's just fit and toned, right? But the pursuit is often still extremely disordered. No, I'm not saying that everyone who's pursuing that, you know, has disordered eating issues and that that's not sort of where their natu- natural body composition lies by no means. But when we see that, all we've done is just changed changed the target. We've just changed the 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 ideal goal or what we the body type that we want to put on a pedestal. But the process and the narrative and the conditioning that we're not good enough and that we're not worthy enough still hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a big thing I find, like a recurring theme with a lot of my clients is not feeling good enough. And that comes with not only like our relationship with food, but physically, mentally, emotionally. Because if you start feeling like not good enough physically, then that impacts your emotions. And then maybe you're thinking, I'm not a good enough employee or student or nutritionist or brother or sister or whatever it is, then it kind of bleeds into all these different areas of your life. And it just is like an overwhelming sense of not good enough into all these different areas. So it's a much bigger picture than we actually realize is what I feel in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. And I think that, you know, we're always, you, I want to, you know, point out or, or it's, it's, I can absolutely relate to the feeling of thinking that this next diet will be the one, right? That will solve every problem that you have physically, mentally, spiritually, that, you know, this is the one that won't, that you'll be able to sustain, right? That you'll be able to not feel like an absolute crazy person on or have it take over your entire life so that all you're doing is going to the grocery store and prepping the only healthy food that you can eat, right? And I think that we're starting to come around to the idea that pursuing these specific types of diets with such a strict and rigid framework isn't necessarily serving us long-term and nor does it help us create a sustainable lifestyle because there's a reason why we can't stick to those types of diets long-term, most of us, right? Mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's pretty impossible just to eat. I mean, I'm sure there are people out there that like never slip up at all, but I'm personally dating a chef. So mm. <laughs> if he's cooking like homemade pasta from scratch, I'm going to have that, you know, um, feed the soul a little bit. So I, yeah, I feel like it's it's really tough. And that also kind of brings us to that that mental health piece. And so in your program of food freedom, do you address that mental health piece of um, kind of undoing or overcoming some of those habits and that all or nothing mentality? Do you touch on that mental health piece at all with your clients? Oh my gosh. Yes. I cannot, I can't obviously claim to be a therapist or a psychologist, of course. Like I think that they're, especially if you are have been struggling with this type of uh, feeling, these types of feelings of self-worth for a very long time, it might be beneficial to seek additional support. But with the work that I do primarily, my top priority is your mindset around 
your relationship with food and your feelings of self-worth, right? And so we actually address that even before we touch on any type of food recommendation or any type of, um, you know, behavioral or physical intervention, right? It is about, I'm very, I feel very strongly about the idea that your thoughts create your feelings, which create your behavior. And essentially that, that, you know, impacts your health, right? And so you can change the behavior, aka you could hop on another keto trend or do a whole 30 for 30 days, right? But if you're not changing the thoughts that you have about yourself and about food, eventually you're going to be influencing the way that you feel about yourself and the world and you will result or you will default back to the behaviors that reflect that, right? And so unless you look at the mindset work and the mental well-being and the mental health, then you'll always sort of be stuck in this perpetual cycle of failed diets and yo-yo dieting and weight cycling, right? Because you're just always looking for the fix without actually addressing the root. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's so interesting. That's so interesting. I loved what you said about, can you repeat it? It's your thoughts. Your thoughts create your feelings, which create your behavior or impact your feelings, which impact your behavior, right? Your your actions are a direct result of how you're feeling because we're always looking to feel good and feel better. And our the way that we feel is influenced by the way that we think, right? A lot of us like to think that it's, you know, our external circumstances that influence how we feel. But if you can look deeply and very specifically at the thoughts that you're having about your circumstances or, you know, the type of food you're eating like or the way that you feel about your body, all of that will impact how you feel, which impacts how you behave and act, right? It's kind of like a snowball, like a cascade snowball effect. So if you're not looking at the mindset you're really just going to, I truly feel you'll just be trapped in this perpetual cycle. And potentially maybe that's why 95% of diets technically fail. I'm not sure. You know, I haven't seen the data on that specifically, but it's a thought. Yeah. With all the different books that I've read on, you know, every different diet from like pH diet to like low lectins diet and everything in between, I feel like the mental health piece and habits is like rarely ever addressed you know it's more about like the food and exercise and sleep but no one really ever touches on that mental health piece and self-worth and your relationship with food and then your relationship in turn with your body yeah yeah and stress too like i think that we've probably almost all experienced you know having major digestive issues and a bunch of foods upset our stomach or we just feel we can't eat them, et cetera, et cetera. And we just live this very regimented lifestyle when we're at home and in our routine. And then all of a sudden we go on vacation and, you know, in normal times and in another world, we would travel to Europe and all of a sudden all of those foods that bother us day to day or that we stress about and we feel impact our feelings of well-being and health all of a sudden we can eat them with with abandon and they don't affect our physical health right and i think that's a really good example of how when you change 
your thoughts about food, it can actually cascade down to your ability to digest, absorb, assimilate them and how you feel in your body, right? Because we have different thoughts when we're quote unquote on vacation, right? About what we're eating. Mm-hmm. And we're way less stressed and mm-hmm. more in the moment. And we're like miles and miles away from all of our problems at home. And so it's kind of an opportunity to relax and, and yeah, have a little bit less stress around food. And, or that's the way I feel anyways. Maybe some people feel the polar opposite, but usually in another world, when I do travel on vacation, I'm kind of like, this is my freedom, you know, and eating all the good local foods and things like that. And yeah, and you've worked so hard and you deserve this. Like imagine if you had that narrative every day in your regular life when you sat down to lunch, you know? What what a different experience that food would be for you. Yeah, then it wouldn't just be this like once a year kind of special thing. It would just be way more normalized and then you wouldn't feel that need to kind of go over the top and eat all the chocolate croissants in sight. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there is oh, there is no more liberating of a feeling than taking a bite of your, you know, used to be kryptonite food and realizing that that bite was enough and leaving the rest on on your plate or walking past your kitchen and passing the bag of chips 10 times in a day and having absolutely no desire to eat them or enjoying an entire pizza with friends and feeling absolutely no guilt about it. Like it works both ways. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. When you're able to sort of harness that like tuning in. So on that too, just speaking about like eating a whole pizza with friends and everything like that as a nutritionist, because I know on your Instagram page, you like absolutely 100% do not hide who you are and what you're eating. And I know you post like pizza and McDonald's and things like that. Do you ever get any backlash from other nutritionists or any clients being like, who do you think you are eating this food as a nutritionist? Mm, Yeah, I am very lucky for the most part in the sense that I feel the community that I am surrounded with is supportive. Um, That may have been intentional or it may just be the types of people that resonate with what I put out there. I'm not sure. But I know that there are certainly people out there who would feel very threatened by my lifestyle choices. (laughs) And I actually had a little run-in recently with, you know, some internet trolls that were very uncomfortable with the idea that I was a nutritionist and eating chips on online. But I think for the most part, the comments and, you know, DMs and response that I generally get is almost gratitude and relief (laughs) that I am not perfect, that there is room for all foods and that you can enjoy something like a piece of pizza and still also like smoothies and kale salad, that there's room for both. I think that generally what I experience is the 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 feeling that, thank God, I don't have to strive to be perfect. Like if you're a nutritionist and you can do both, then I must I like I think that I'm hopefully 
helping people give themselves permission to experience food in a similar way without feeling guilt or shame around it. I absolutely love that. And I appreciate you for doing that and kind of being a pioneer and saying, hey, this is who I am. This is what I eat. And because I know we can feel so much pressure to be perfect. And I know for me on social media too, I feel like, um, and I don't know if you've ever got this as well, but before COVID when I was seeing clients in person and they would take a look at me at at first glance, you know, comment about either my body weight or body size. And then they just assume that I eat salads all day, every day. And they really don't know the whole ins and out of what I eat every day. And it's just kind of that like initial judgment of your nutritionist, you must eat really clean. And that quote unquote, those clean foods and, you know, salads all the time. And in reality, Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh my gosh, if you only knew what I ate. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, really trying to squash that perfectionism this year, I'm I'm hoping is kind of the direction that we're headed into and being like, we're also real humans, like nutritionists, naturopathic doctors, like everyone in this health field, like we are still humans who have cravings. And it's unfair to expect us to be perfect all the time when in reality, that's just not the real honest truth. <laughs> yeah, I I think that That's what I've always appreciated about you. I think through you know the years we've been connected and through watching each other's approach and growth is I I resonate so much with with those of us in the industry who are showing the behind the scenes and I'm and I think there very well may be people out there who are able to eat quote unquote perfectly clean and sustain that and have you know wonderfully balanced mental health that is not me <laughs> nor will it ever be especially with the amount of knowledge i have about food and nutrition i'm i we you know are the types of people who are equipped to do that and yet i'm still not able to sustain that long term and nor does it benefit me so you know i I think for me, it's always been, um, I've always noticed if I'm out with people eating or, you know, I invite people over for a meal, et cetera, wherever I am where food is present, I find most people and primarily, um, you know, those of us who've been socialized as women are actually almost apologetic for what they're eating or what they brought to the table and they assume that I am judging them or um, making assumptions about their lifestyle based on this one meal choice. And I think that you can kind of say this, you can kind of put that in reverse and say the same for us, right? Like you can see, you know, perfect smoothie bowls and avocado toast all over my page, but I don't just want to show you the highlight reel because I don't think that that helps you give yourself permission to to draw outside of those lines, you know, or to eat beyond this sort of Instagram perfection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We should not be putting people in boxes, <laughs> no matter what the title, as a nutritionist or, and I know with my clients too, I would rather them be a hundred percent honest on their food intake in my questionnaire. I'm like, I'd rather you just be a hundred percent honest because I can work with someone who's like, listen, 
I eat a slice of chocolate cake every single night. And then it's like, okay, good. Because if you're telling me you eat salads and smoothies every day, I'm like, I don't even eat like that. And at least if you're eating the cake, we can work on that intuitive eating and mental health piece unpacking. Why do you reach for that chocolate cake every night? Is it a comfort thing? Is it a habit? And kind of unpacking everything behind that. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's so, you sort of hit the nail on the head there too. There's so much this is where, you know, the the sort of incorrect notion that you can just eat whatever you want whenever you want in intuitive eating comes into play because there is so much of our sort of attachment to food and how we use food as a coping mechanism either for our emotions, our needs that aren't being met or simply just distraction and boredom that comes into play, right? And so number 1, you're not a bad person for eating cake every night and if if you know you work through all of this and your body still wants cake every night then then so be it but i you you're already sort of operating so intuitively when you said that by sort of addressing the idea that maybe it's not necessarily about your body needing cake every night as fuel maybe there's more to it than that and that's mm-hmm. that's so that's going to serve you so much more than you know trying to stick to a perfectly paleo diet because you're terrified of carbs right at the end of the day if you start to address that relationship with food Mm -hmm. i love everything you're saying (laughs) (laughs) i feel i love that we're you know it's it's not it's so nice to connect with people who are on this same page because i think especially in the health and wellness world people can feel very threatened by the idea that we can recommend something outside of, you know, avocados and kale. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, you're so right. And it's so much more than that too, is like we've been talking about this whole conversation, we're also addressing more than that food piece and not to claim that we're psychologists or anything near that because we definitely outsource and can work together, but kind of addressing that. It's important to address mental, physical, and emotional on top of the food that we're putting into our body as well. And so with that, I do have a question for you. Um, I'll tell you a little bit of backstory too, because my aunt, I have a lot of family members who are Um, nurses and doctors and really in that medical field, but they're also really holistic in a sense as well. Mm. And I have an aunt who is not celiac, but she really knows how to listen to her body and tune in. And she knows that if she has a couple of slices of bread when we're out to eat, she's fine. But if she overdoes it and goes for that third one or that fourth one, she feels really, really bad, nauseous, headache, bloating, the whole works. Mm. So she has a little bit of an intolerance. And I was always amazed when I was younger because she kept saying, I just listen to my body and I know exactly what my body needs when it needs it. And I was so amazed because I was like, how do you know? So my question for you is, what are those like first steps or any tips that you have for someone who's just learning and just starting their journey to listening to their body and also loving their body as well? Mm-hmm. I think that the first thing that I would do is start to make a conscious effort. There's, oh, there's, I want to say so many things. <laughs> 
Okay, here's the first thing. You need to drown out the white noise of diet culture, right? Of this this narrative that we need to restrict food or else and achieve this body ideal or else we're not good enough, right? That's a big process and that it can be, you know, um that could, that can take quite a lot of conscious effort and you may require guidance in that area. So if at the very least you can start to incorporate mindfulness specifically when you're eating, I feel like that's the first step because introspective awareness or this ability to tune in is a practice. It's a learned skill, right? We used to have it when we were toddlers and we just, or babies, and we'd cry when we're hungry and we would say no to a second helping when we were full because we had absolutely no desire for extra cake if our bodies were done. We've lost that ability to check in with ourselves, right? Because we've placed the authority outside of us. We now listen to the health and wellness gurus, the nutrition info, the studies out there about X, Y, and Z, obesity risk, whatever, right? We've placed that authority outside of us and we need to bring it back inside of our own bodies and and move inward and look to ourselves as the authority now on what we like when exactly what what your aunt does like like when she's done she's done and and she's able to tune into those cues so the first step is mindful eating mm-hmm. if you're looking for like a practical application and that is essentially just it's you know a lot of people have trouble sometimes with mindfulness and i think that's because we're afraid to we use everything else as such a coping mechanism that we're afraid to just be still and be with ourselves undistracted for any period of time often <laughs> I've struggled with this a lot in the beginning, but if you are able to be realistic, so set a small goal for yourself. So let's set a goal of one meal or snack per day. Doesn't matter what, it can honestly even be your cup of coffee in the morning if you want to start small. But if you're able to sit down with that food completely undistracted, which is an off, often a challenge or a novel idea to many of us because we're used to being on our phones while we eat, watching a show on Netflix or even listening to a podcast or reading the paper, right? We're, we're working through lunch. We're always doing something while we're eating. And we need to go back to the basics where we sit quietly with our food and just observe as best we can without judgment right? There's, there's quite a bit more to it, right? You can ask yourself questions, like start to notice things like the taste, how the food, you know, whether it's appealing to you, how it, how it, like what the texture feels like if you're actually enjoying it. And then as you make your way through this meal or snack, whatever's on your plate, start to notice, you know, initially where your hunger was at when you started and how that changes as you eat. And there will be a point in there at which you start to realize you're more full than hungry. And then eventually when you're used to tuning in and when you're able to cultivate enough of that awareness, you'll also reach the point where you're able to notice when you're full or when your body says, no, that's enough. Thanks for now. I'm good. Right. But it's about the, it's almost like yoga or meditation in the sense that it's about the practice of it because we're so, we're so rusty. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm hearing you say is that we need to put away the technology when we're eating. Do not eat in front of the TV or while driving or on your phone and really kind of focus in on what's in front of you. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're not a bad person if you, you know, eat a bowl of ice cream and watch a show on Netflix either, right? We need to take away the judgment and the vilifying of falling off the wagon in any sort of healthy habit. But if you can set this small goal of once per day, I'm going to practice sitting down mindfully to eat my meal without distraction. That can honestly have such a a huge impact on your ability to notice what's going on with your own internal signals. Okay. So for someone who's like just getting into this, just one meal a day, start there and then work your way up from there. Yeah. 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 And I mean, you know, again, it's sort of like you think yogis are just living a yogic mindset and and always doing downward dog every moment of their life. As an intuitive eating coach, I don't, I, I will tell you right now, I don't eat every single meal mindfully. But when I do, my ability to stop myself from overeating, um, to digest and assimilate my food, and just generally my enjoyment of the meal and mental well-being around eating because I am prone to stressing out about food, (laughs) all increases, right? And that all has that cascade effect on this sort of whole picture of well-being and health. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. I love that you're like, just start simple, (laughs) tune in and yeah, and not stress about, you know, when you're not doing it perfectly because that's completely unrealistic to do it perfectly all day, every day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that, if if you were going to wrap intuitive eating up in a nutshell, if you can tune in that way, that is the path through. Mm-hmm. I love that. And yeah. I know New Year's is coming up. And so just a couple more questions before I let you go, but I had to address the New Year's piece just because this is going up right before the new year. Mm. And I know a lot of people tend to have goals for weight loss and they tend to want to have fast weight loss and tend to lean more into those crash diets. So what would you suggest for someone whose goal is weight loss in the new year? Mm, This is a a big question. Um, And I, I love that you bring it up because it is if the, if we were ever going to talk about like like weight loss goals it's new year's right everyone wants to change their entire lives at the start of you know writing a new date on the calendar um and so i guess i'll break it down this way if your goal is to lose weight i think it's important for you to ask yourself why And this might take a little while to unpack, you know, obviously things like journaling or having a conversation with a friend can really help you clarify this for yourself. But if you come to the conclusion that you're choosing to lose weight for quote unquote health reasons, again, we can dive a little deeper and and start to unpack what that means to you because there is quite a bit of supporting evidence now out there that that support the idea that your weight does not determine your health and your weight is not your behavior right your body is not your behavior your actions and behaviors is what's going to impact your 
overall well-being, your health, and your health markers, right? And so if losing weight is about your health, then I would gently suggest that um, you can have a much bigger impact on your health with opting for an alternative method of incorporating healthy habits, lifestyle, and behavior. And if you're if choosing to lose weight is about for you, you know, feeling your best, quote unquote, or um, an aesthetic reason, like you feel like you need to reach that body ideal to validate yourself, to feel respected, to feel loved and or worthy, then I think that I again, um, Personally, I would always want that validation and feeling of worthiness not to rest on external circumstances because life happens, our weight fluctuates, especially as typically biological females. There's a lot of reasons why we sort of go up and down on, you know, a weight loss curve. And if you're if your self-worth is so tied up in the way that you look and you feel that if you achieve X, Y, and Z in terms of gains or abs, that you will finally be able to, to accomplish that feeling, I would argue that it's a very unstable foundation to, to rest on. And so For me, I would say if your goal is weight loss, talk to me (laughs) because there's, there's, you know, a lot, I would, I would much rather give you something that is more achievable long-term, whether it be for health or whether it be for aesthetic reasons. Um, and one thing I will sort of throw out there is we are generally aware now in the body respect, health at every size, and intuitive eating communities that 95% of diets fail. And this is diets across the board, um, whether it be wellness or specifically weight loss. With the intention of losing weight, 95% of these diets fail. So that doesn't seem like a really great track record, if you ask me. And two thirds, I can. I'm happy to provide you with the supporting evidence if you ever are interested. But two thirds of those dieters will gain back more weight than they originally had. So not only is this broken system of you know attempts at weight loss and dieting not sustainable long term, and absolutely 95% of the time ineffective, it actually will go one step further. And cause you to experience your own weight in a way that's even worse than when you started. So it's kind of like, it's almost like this like complete mind bender that we, we've been taught to believe that this is the solution to our problem, when in fact it can actually do more damage in the opposite direction. And so if you're looking to accomplish a goal... I would gently suggest that there may be a potentially easier and potentially more effective way to start to look at that. 
I was really hoping that that was going to be your answer. So I'm really glad that you <laughs> it like that and just kind of addressing, like, again, coming back to that mental health piece and just saying, maybe we need to work on something else first. And like you said, 95% of diets fail. That's a high number. That's way more failures than success. And I know there's very, very, very little people that have that success and are able to keep the weight off for a year. I know there's a specific website for um, studies done on the people who have been successful and keeping the weight off for over a year. So I think addressing, I feel like the reason why they don't work is again, because they don't address the overall uh, mental health piece and kind of tuning into their body, what their body needs and that connection with food and self-worth and basically everything you mentioned. So I would suggest in the new year, booking an appointment with Renee, if that is one of your goals. So oh, you're so kind. <laughs> work on that base and work on kind of more accepting your body and loving your body to begin with. Yeah. I mean, I'm certainly happy to unpack that if you, especially if you feel a little bit of resistance to sort of what what we just discussed. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a good indicator for most people that there is more to your relationship with food and your body than you might think. And I would love to infuse that relationship with so much more resilience and positivity and success than potentially other avenues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Coming at it from more of um, a different angle and more of um, a positive angle. And yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. And I know your time is valuable. So I'm going to leave it at one last question. I know I have a ton more questions in my mind that I want to ask. (laughs) We can always save that for a part two. But I have kind of a big question, but I'm curious about how you're going to answer it and your thoughts on this. Mm. So where do you feel like we're headed in the future or your hopes on where we're headed in the future in terms of nutrition trends, intuitive eating, restriction-free diet culture, body image, and everything in terms of of those trends. Yeah. Ooh, that's a fun one for like 2021. Um, I, it, uh, it's hard because we live in a little bubble, right? Like the algorithm shows me what I want to see, which is more restriction-free nutritionists and an entire intuitive eating community, right? But I truly feel that we have, you know, with with the wellness trends, especially things like keto and potentially Whole30, et cetera, we've sort of gone down this rabbit hole of rigidity and restriction, right? And I don't think it's possible for us to take anything else off the table, right? Like if we are choosing that avenue and that sort of lifestyle, there's not many categories of food left to remove. So we can't go any deeper in the rigidity and restriction category. So I feel like we're almost going to see this rebellion effect where I really do feel that more and more people are embracing being kinder to themselves, right? Which I think includes allowing themselves indulgence and enjoyable foods and understanding that healthy eating and healthy living has room for balance. And I think that the pendulum is sort of swinging in that direction. I truly hope so. And I feel very positive about that movement 
when it is done um, with a very deep awareness and consciousness of of how impactful that can be, right? As opposed to just like trendy. I think that, you know, we're also going to see everyone sort of jumping on that bandwagon. And I would generally caution everyone out there to unpack if you're, you know, looking at and starting to receive messaging from someone who claims that they're involved in intuitive eating, body respect, health at every size, any type of these modalities, make sure that um, they're coming from a place of true education and awareness because those of us who are trapped in this disordered eating cycle can still perpetuate diet culture, weight stigma, and those ideals even within the framework of this work. So it's important to find someone that that is really cognizant of that and that isn't sort of trapped in their own habits and patterns. A really good like red flag is just like if you notice any type of indication that they have created morality around food or any type of food rule in general, they're probably not as on board with all of this as they think that they are. <laughs> I love what you said about the rebellion effect. I feel like it's time for a change. 2021, I feel like it's about time we start breaking and cracking down all those food rules and what we are used to of, you know, that like traditional dieting and food restriction and, and totally head into a new era and a new age of, you know, body positivity. And I've been seeing it kind of crash through on social media, especially on TikTok, um, about women just showing their bodies. And, and I know Lizzo is a big advocate for, like body love and that whole movement. And so I've been seeing it little by little, but I'm really hoping that we can start to, you know, break these barriers and, and finally have a little bit of food freedom and and head in that direction. Yeah, yeah. And I think I would say that's in terms of trends, I think that you can almost set the trend yourself because like you said, there are people out there now who are you know, talking about this and showing you lifestyles and body diversity in all forms, right? In terms of ability, in terms of skin color, in terms of size. And it's really information that is out there at your disposal if you're willing to seek it out. And you can show yourself what you want to see in, you know, in the world, right? Like you get to determine your own messaging essentially. And so if you, if this is the trend or if it won't be the trend, let's make it the trend. Do you know what I mean? Like let's, let's seek out those voices and amplify them. I think that that's a really important piece. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like what you're saying about if the trend doesn't exist and it's something you wholeheartedly believe in too, and then start that trend, you know, like all good movements and changes in the world. And there's that, that saying that stays true is, is be the change you wish to see in the world. And if you want to see a trend out there and move more into breaking those barriers, then, you know, it starts with you. So Mm -hmm. you create the trend that you want to see and yeah, let's cause a rebellion and break down some of these restricting diets and restrictive eating. And yeah. A hundred percent agree. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we're on the same page. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
And I'm sure, I'm so sure that people are going to want to know how that they can work with you and where to find you. So why don't you let us know how people can work with you and what socials you're on and um, your email and all that good stuff. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, so you can find me anywhere at Salt and Spoon Wellness. So I'm on Instagram, you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, all of that. Um, and that's like, come join on Instagram. That's sort of my main hub if that's your thing, um, because I do do quite a bit of um, content sharing there, and you know, tips and tricks that you might find useful. Beyond that, you are welcome to reach out to me either through DM or email. You can email me at hello at saltandspoonwellness.com. And I'm happy to, you know, walk you through how to work with me one-on-one, or if you prefer to have a free 30-minute chat, we can unpack sort of all of these these topics and themes that, that may have potentially stirred some stuff up for you. Mm-hmm. And in, I guess, if this is launching before New Year's, in January 2021, I'm finally and very excitedly launching my first and definitive online program called the Food Freedom Breakthrough. So if this kind of stuff resonates with you, that is going to be the program where we tackle all of this mindset work ditching diet culture, intuitive eating framework. And then we also dive into the gentle nutrition aspect of intuitive eating, which is my wheelhouse and expertise where you can start to incorporate those healthful behaviors that we talked about to really create a well-rounded wellness lifestyle. And I think that's it. That's probably where where I'm hanging out. <laughs> Perfect. I appreciate that so much. And I appreciate you um, spending some time with me and, you know, addressing some of these questions and talking about some of these really, really deep topics. And and I just appreciate your point of view and your outlook and all the positive changes that you're making waves in this nutrition field. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so, I'm happy to have, you know, hopped on here. And I think that I I, I just appreciate so much that we can come from different fields and potentially different backgrounds in in our industry and still find this sort of common ground. I think it's really magical. <laughs> My friends, thank you so much for listening in. If you liked this episode, feel free to share it with a friend, subscribe, rate, or review this podcast. For more health, wellness, and lifestyle tips, you can come say hi to me on Instagram at nutritionmoderation or online at nutritionmoderation.com. I hope you have an amazing day wherever you are. We'll chat soon.